Welcome to Blackbird. My name is James, and today I have for you a bonus episode. This is my appearance on the You're Talking Over Me podcast with Adam Patrick. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Be sure to check out Adam's podcast, which is linked in the description. And with that, here is my appearance on You're Talking Over Me. Everybody and welcome to your talking over me. As always, I'm your humble host Adam Patrick, and today I welcome James Jenneman from the Blackbird Podcast to the show, formerly Urban Agorist. We talk about a variety of things, from COVID and vaccines to psychedelics and integral theory, and kind of wind up talking about a connection with the Most High or nature or God and how we can find balance in our lives between the material and the mystical in order to move forward as, you could say, productive members of society or just really good human beings. If you continue to enjoy this show, the guests and the content that I'm providing, go ahead and download and subscribe on uh, any podcatcher, but on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave a five-star rating and review. It really helps. And of course, as always, I can be contacted on any social media platform at I am Adam Patrick or you're talking over me at protonmail.com. All right, enough for me. Let's get into it with James Gentleman. Been brushing up on some episodes. I listened to Vin Armani talk about, uh, well, the tar- title of the episode was Cargo Cults. I didn't even know it was Vin Armani. Uh, I just was interested in the topic, so I clicked it um, this morning. Yeah, I, I'd never heard of the. Never heard of the concept of cargo cults, but it, it I mean, how relevant is that in what's happened over the yeah. last 12 months? I mean, he, he, him bringing that up and I, I, had, I Googled it real quick while he was talking and uh, there's nothing worse than not knowing what your guest is talking about when they're bringing it up. But it also like pushes me to, <laughs> to, 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 to learn, I, you know, <laughs> I was on uh, I was on LB Muniz's podcast and he was having trouble with the Nietzsche quote. And uh, so I Googled it and made myself sound like the smart yeah. guy. Uh, but really, like, I had no idea. Like, the it was the God is dead and we have killed him. But, like, there's a whole – it's like a whole poem. Uh, but, uh, yeah, anyway. So. The, the, the Nietzsche cool. thing is really interesting that that comes up on so many of the libertarian podcasts. Well, maybe not so many of them. But it gets brought up a lot as, uh, like, proof of atheism where that's not what Nietzsche – was saying. Yeah. Right. And he was really getting to kind of the same point that Vin was getting at on that episode, where if you if you lose, you know, tradition and culture and society and, you know, it, all, all of these things that we've learned that that keep us together as human beings, then you're going to end up in utter disaster. And somehow that quote just got totally <laughs> blown up out of context. It, it boggles my mind. How, well, it doesn't really, but it, it's it's annoying. And used and used as ammunition by so many different like disparate mm-hmm. groups. Mm-hmm. Like Christians love to use it to say that Nietzsche was um, like defending atheism or you know glorifying the fact that God was dead. Yeah, I, I think even I think Sam Harris even brought it up on one of his shows, and I was like, man, you know better than that. I mean, you know, but you did have he really? to. Really? Yeah, he did. He really did. And, and oh. it, it was it was one of those things where I, I I stuck out the episode long enough to see if he would kind of circle back and get it. And he's such a, a like a learned gentleman that yeah. I would have thought like you're you, you would get this concept. But 
it's not like I completely and, understand it either, but you know. And generally he tries to, uh, he tries to steal man his opponent's arguments. So like, it's not like he was just being disingenuous. That's weird. Yeah. The, um, so I, I'm not sure exactly where you fall in the materialist, mystical, atheist, theist kind of you know, my, labels have been something that I, I bring up mostly for colloquial humor when when I do these conversations. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm not sure where you fall in that. Is, is there, or even on the on the political apolitical spectrum, is is there um, a term that you you know quote unquote identify as? I mean, other than agorist, which I think is is pretty obvious for you at this point. Well, I, I've kind of abandoned the title agorist actually, um, after, well, and part of it is because of Ven, uh, but like, right. Mm-hmm. I, so my original, my, my podcast was originally titled urban agorist. And, uh, the thing is I'm kind of scared of agorism. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't want to not pay my taxes. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I obviously I want to not pay my taxes, but like, I don't want to go to jail for not paying my taxes. You know what I mean? Like, so, uh, and actually, um, and, you know, also, I, I'm not as militantly anti-politics as Konkin was or, you know, obviously as Vin, Vin and Sal, Sal Mayweather are. Um, so, you know, I, I like I'm I'm I've rejoined or not rejoined, but I didn't let my LP membership lapse. I, you know, I renewed and have become somewhat active in the Mises caucus. Um, you know, I mean, I think that, like you know, like you say, all all battles, all allies all tactics all weapons or something like that yeah all fights on all fronts at all times with all weapons and all allies yes absolutely yes man it was uh it was way off (laughs) no you know you had the the right idea but maybe yours is better (laughs) (laughs) i had a good attitude (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe i like yours better maybe i'll maybe i'll switch over yeah Uh, i don't even remember what i said so keep stick with yours it's uh it rolls off your tongue better no that's actually an interesting place to start um I, i remember when when sal um put out that that tweet where he was he was kind of condemning anybody who yeah. you know w- was trying to get involved with the libertarian party and and that's really that tweet was where i came up with that line where where i thought you know oh yeah is, is it i think that was the the, the uh, genesis of that was I, I looked at it and i went why does this bother you i mean if, if your if yeah. your goal is to get people on board with going and creating their own thing then just go create your own thing right like what do you care if people are getting involved right. in politics and then, you know, I, I have um, I, I don't know Sal very well. I've never spoken to him in person. I've never met him. We haven't talked on the show or anything, um, but I, I know been a little bit just from the conversations that we've had on here. He's been on twice and I've communicated much more with him on Twitter. I, I was um, I understand where Vin's coming from when he's talking about, you know, Dave Smith and the Libertarian Party. I, I completely understand where he's coming from. And then at the same time. I thought to myself the same thing. I went, I don't, I'm not sure if this is going to accomplish the thing that you want, uh, want to accomplish. But also at the same time, I, I understand using social media to signal to your in group. So, mm. you know, it, that's a messaging thing where you're, you're being deliberately provocative it, to signal to certain people that you want to, that, that you know will be, uh, will we'll conform to your worldview yeah. and come kind of over, over to your tribe. So I could kind of see all those mechanisms kind of working out the, the South thing. I didn't really see it. I just th- th- thought it was a little weird. Um, anyway. Yeah. So, uh, as for like where I fall, I would say that I like identify as libertarian free market anarchist. Uh, those are words that I would use to describe myself. Um, 
philosophical agorist. Maybe that's what Monica Perez calls herself. Mm. Vin, Vin, uh, after Vin was on my show, he wrote an article for counter markets, um, where he called me a, an armchair agorist. You know, that's, that's fair enough. Uh, (laughs) Um, uh, and then as for the materialist mysticist, um, I'm a materialist who's really trying his hardest to understand mysticism. Mm. Um, it's, I mean, that's probably something to talk about. Um, we're, uh, I fully, fully, fully embrace that we're in a transition period from a, from materialist to mystic, like an a, like an era, a paradigm shift. Um, but, uh, I, I have always been more heady than hardy. Hmm. If that makes sense. I think so. I, you know, one of the quotes that, um, that Vin put out there, I, I don't remember what forum it was on. It might've been Twitter or a show was, you know, if you go, and I was just talking to uh, my friend Stacy last night on the show, the episode that I just put up and I was mentioning this and um, it was if you go too far toward the materialist, you end up in autism. If you go too far toward the mystical, you end up in schizophrenia. And yeah. j- just having read, you know, like literally capitalism and schizophrenia, like Deleuze and Guattari that, you know, and, and even just studying Nick Land a little bit, you can you can kind of you can kind of see how even materialists can get caught up in. I guess some sort of atheistic mysticism and, and go off the deep end too. like, like, you know, Deleuze threw himself out of a window. And I think you, you even see it this, these past 12 months with this, you know, I would say atheistic religion of the church of woke where, where they've gone like completely schizophrenic too, in, in creating this atheistic religion. It's a very, very interesting and maybe altogether humorous, year that we that we just lived through it yeah. and, 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 a, and a lot to dissect from the libertarian anarchist point of view, because, you know, I think the libertarian community was uh, woefully unprepared for something this dramatic to happen. And I, I know I was. And it, it took me, you know, a, a while to snap back into um, or I guess snap out of this sort of intellectual malaise that I'd been in for about, you know, 12, 13 years where I, you know, read uh, Ron Paul and Rothbard, Mises and Hayek and just sort of stayed there. And then this happened yep. and I was like, fuck, I really should have been pushing myself. And it, mm-hmm. so many people didn't have that light go on. Like I did, thankfully for myself, I did. I wish it had been sooner, but I still feel like that light is out for so many people. I don't know if yep. you agree or disagree. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a uh, I mean, I mean, it's uh, it's it's probably it's probably gradient. I mean, you know, if you read the pages of, of reason magazine, they're still saying that Facebook and Twitter are private companies. So mm. it's, you know, it's their right to, to censor people. Um, which is so far, like, I don't, I don't even remember how I justified <laughs> right, <laughs> making right, that yes, argument. Yes. You know, right, it's like, yes. it's like when I, it's like when I was on the left and, you know, I mean, I was a leftist, I don't know, 2000, whenever Howard Dean was running for president, that's when I was like at the height of my, hmm, you know, 20, lefty anti-war. 2008 or 12? Before that, it was, he was, he was the anti, anti-Iraq war candidate. My God, was it that long ago? Was it 2004 yeah. that he was doing the screaming thing? Yeah, it must have been 04. Yeah. Oh, wow. Jeez, you're right. Um, that was so long ago. And then ago. they made him chairman of the, yeah, I know. And then they made him chairman of the DNC for the subsequent uh, right, right. Um, yes. Um, but like, I don't remember, I, I can't remember why I believed that way. Like I, 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 for the life of me can't understand 
the arguments that I would have made mm. in favor of uh, like heavy regulatory state, for instance. I mean, taxes, fine. You you know, I mean, that's the price you pay for a civilized society or whatever. Um, I can get that. But like why it made so much sense to me that, well, I I must have had like the angelic view of the state is all it is really like the the people regulating the banks really are regulating the banks. They're not trying to get jobs at the banks, you know? (laughs) Well, well, yeah. Well, I mean, not well until they're done regulating and then they go and they get the job at the banks. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's what that's yeah. that's that's the, that's the reality of the thing. You know, I mean, it's it's all just regulatory capture. Um, so anyway, I, I I was really what it is is I was a naive twenty whatever year old is is what it boils down to. I think. Well, even as somebody you know who who would have for probably the past decade and a half considered myself a libertarian, I would have gone and just said I'm a straight libertarian anarchist, philosophically anarchist, mm-hmm. practically libertarian. I mean, I, I would have I would have died on that sword for you know 15 years. I think I, I was caught personally in this kind of galaxy brain trap of confusing <laughs> reality with the abstract, and and that's now yeah. that I've I've sort of been broken of that mindset i can see it in other people and the worst Mm -hmm. thing you can do or i can do when you when you awaken to an idea is just start like berating everyone else for not being awoken to it also but yeah but, but for me that was the thing it was like oh we're talking about private companies as if like we're not living in the real world and we are living in the real world and and to your point these are not these are not private like maybe I'm not even uh, other than, you know, if I had like a side hustle selling weed or something, I'm not really operating in the free market. And even then I'm, I'm risking jail and, you know, and, and a, a huge amount of like degradation by the state or even society and culture looking down on me. I'm risking that. So, yeah, it's technically like a quote unquote free market. But like, am I really operating in the free market? I don't even really yeah. know anymore, you know. Well, and, you know, I mean, if your CEO is frequently dragged before Congress to testify and pressured to make changes by Congress, you're a subsidiary of Congress. You're you're that's that's all there is to that. Like, I guess I could see like, I don't know, your whatever your regional grocery chain is, Kroger, or Safeway or whatever it is. We have a stop and, and shop. Yeah. So that, I guess, is not as, you know, I mean, it's the same thing. It's gradient. It's not as. uh it's not it's not like the CEO of Stop and Shop is being dragged before Congress. So I guess I wouldn't call them a subsidiary of the state. Although, I mean, you know, the food industry is just as heavily regulated and subsidized as any other industry. So sure. And um, and, and you see it with these. I mean, where uh, whereabouts do you live? Did you ask where I live? Yeah. Where, where do you live at? Uh, oh, like what part Minia- of the I, I live in Minneapolis. Oh, Lord. Jeez. OK. Well, that's <laughs> going to be an interesting <laughs> yeah. year for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, the. Um, so, okay. I was Actually, gonna- I, I grew up in Dallas and I happened to be in Dallas for the George Floyd um, killing and oh, wow. also this most recent, the Brooklyn Center. Uh, we drove back to Minneapolis the day that, the day after the Brooklyn Center shooting when, um, they, when they were under curfew and, you know, Brooklyn Center was just completely shut down. And my friend who lives in Brooklyn Center happened to be watching my dog for me for that week. Oh. And I went to his house and he had no idea that it had happened. He had no idea. Like he didn't know that they were under curfew or anything. It was so weird. And well, like uh, our, our iPhones were sending us alerts that there was a curfew in place and stuff. He just it was completely, completely oblivious to it. So so the entire um, uh, woke movement's just following you around the country. So don't don't come to Connecticut. We're uh, <laughs> we're, we're not killing people here and burning down cities yet. So, <laughs> yeah. 
No, I, I, um, I, I, I asked where you lived just to kind of get a, a gauge on, you know, how you've lived over the last year with, you know, mask mandates and, and how private businesses around you are kind of functioning in, in that reality. Here, I live in southern Connecticut, so right outside of New York, it's one of the wealthiest places in the world. And not, not that I am, but it, I'm tangentially attached to that. And uh, it's it's been a lot of aloofness here. Like you get the big corporations, the Walmarts, the Home Depots, like they're around, but people have enough. They have enough wealth and capital that there's still a lot of small businesses around here. And uh, a lot a lot of the small businesses didn't really, you know, I, I can point to a dozen just in the town that I live in that don't give a fuck about any of this stuff. And they haven't for a very long time. Like you, you go in, you you throw like a, a, a mask on, you know, with your finger on your nose for a second and then you sit down you take it off and nobody cares <laughs> yeah uh and I, I don't you know i'm i'm not thinking that's probably a good representation of most of the country so this hasn't been a huge burden for me um but maybe just because of where i live so I'm, I'm i'm always asking people when they come on the show like what what have you seen as far as what businesses have done i mean how have you judged their their reaction to all these mandates do you think that the larger corporations are doing it just for show or, or, or even not just for show, but you understand like the idea of, of co-opting government regulation to put people mm -hmm. out of business around you. Did you see the, the smaller mom and pop so, uh, shops around you kind of just going through the motions? Or do you think they really believe in all this stuff? Really? It really varies. So and I don't go to a lot of mom and pop shops just mm. because I'm always broke and don't <laughs> want to pay the, pay the price of shopping local. Um, so I like I do my grocery shop at Target and so I'm not that broke, but <laughs> uh, I, do, I do my grocery shopping at Target and I have done the under the nose. I've done the chin strap and I've gone completely mask free. Mm. Um, and not one of those things has anyone batting an eyelash, but I'm also the only person in the store uh, kind of bucking. I mean, a lot of people are, are under the nose, but uh um, yeah, it's been, so, so that's target. Uh, but on the other hand, I, and, and restaurants are completely variable. It's, it's weird. Um, I think it depends on if you're in the suburbs or in the city. Uh, I, I was at a kind of divey place in St. Paul and we sat at the bar, which is maybe five steps from the front door. And when we got up to leave, uh, I didn't put my mask on, um, because literally like, I was out the door within, you know, a couple of seconds and the bartender was like, Oh, you have to put on your mask, put on your mask. Jesus. Like, I know it was nuts. Uh, I didn't, um, I pretended not to hear. Uh, and then we were at another place that like, we went for a freedom cells meetup actually. And mm. we were told that this place was not real strict on their mask policy. Um, and so we were like, okay, great. Let's go, let's go eat. So first of all, they had to seat us in groups of six and there were, you know, I think 15 of us there. So there were a couple of like odd people at like a table by themselves. And then, you know, two more, two groups of six and like a group of three or something like that. And uh, so we didn't really get to meet each other. It was our very first meetup. And, it, you know, it was cool. It was a very, very divey place. So you, to me, like I associate dive bar with like just kind of fast and loose. Um, and in order to split our checks, we had to go pay at the bar. Hmm. So I put my mask on under my, under my nose, like I normally do and walk up to the bar and, uh, ask the bartender for my bill and the bartender's printing it out. He has to itemize it on the POS. So it took him a little bit. And while he's itemizing it, um, the bouncer, this huge, 
guy with a beard comes up and he says, sir, I need you to pull your mask up. And <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, okay. So I pull my mask up thinking like he's, you know, Oh, he caught me. I'll just, you know, pull it back down. So I pull it back down and like, and, and, and so I'm at, I, you know, I'm standing next to another bar patron. He's we're level to each other. Cause I'm kind of leaning against the bar. Uh, and he's on a stool and he looks at me like, can you believe this guy? And I look back at him like, can you believe this guy? Because, you know, obviously, can you believe this guy? We're standing at the same level from one another. You just happen to be on a tall bar stool and I happen to be supported by my feet on the ground. Mm. It just was absolutely nuts. I almost like sat down next to the guy and ordered a beer or something like that just so that I could. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that so that was that was really surreal. But on the other hand, Buffalo Wild Wings, which is a chain, um, the, at least the one that I go to or the couple that I go to actually are, they don't care. Like you get up and go to the bathroom or like, um, they cordon off the bar area and mm-hmm. people are just there. Like it's a happy hour, mm-hmm. you know I mean? They're mingling and standing and, you know, flouting all of the regulations. So anyway, I guess the point is it probably just man- it depends on who the manager of the, of the mm-hmm. locale is. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm personally, I've been in the uh, bar and restaurant industry for it's 16 years now, and I've yeah. mostly owned and operated uh, my own establishments or I've managed for corporate restaurants mm-hmm. or whatever. I currently work for somebody else, but I manage the bar that I work at and I um, <clears throat> work in one of the more wealthy towns in the wealthiest county. And it's been a, a very interesting progression of watching what's happened there because we, we, we have definitely done all the things we, we put on the show for sure. I mean, there, there's there's no way anybody could come in from the health department or the state and say that we're not doing the thing. But just getting to know kind of the customers down there, because it, it's not certainly a group of people I would ever kind of pal around with on the aside, that they were um, very much against all of this shit, very much against the social distancing, yeah. very much against the masks. And but they're super fucking pro vaccine because they think it's all going to go away. If they get the vaccine, so they'll mm-hmm. they'll come in now, and they won't have a mask on, and there's like five of them that walk in, and they're half cocked, and I'm and I I I don't think I've ever unless I just don't like you and I want to be a dick, I've never really told people to put a mask on. Like we have other people in, in the restaurant that do that, so I don't sure. have to. And it, and I kind of looked at them and I was like, um, you know, I wrote like a little note on a piece of paper and slid it to one of my regulars and was like, can you tell them when they go to like the restroom, just do the thing, do the theater. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, we've all been vaccinated. So it's like over. <laughs> and I go, dude, do you, under, do you understand that's not how this works? Like, it, 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 yes, it should work that – well, you know, to some extent it should theoretically work that way, like in their head. One would hope. One, one would well, – I mean, obviously, I, would, I don't give a fuck either way. But in their brain, they're like, oh, I got the vaccine. Like all this nonsense of the last year is over, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's not how the governor sees it. It's, it's completely arbitrary nonsense. And it, it's just been very interesting how pro-vaccine this community has been for an entirely different reason. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think that they have any concern about COVID at all. It's just like, a, here's my card. I can now operate in the free world again, which I, I don't know if that translates to anybody listening or any, any other communities. It's been really weird for me to see that, that, um, that transformation over the last year. Um, are you recording? Oh, yeah. But I don't have to. I mean, we're not live or anything. Oh, no. I just don't see the recording indicator. Yeah, everybody says that. Well, you, you know you, you know why? Because my cell phone is connected to the mixer that goes to my computer. So 
you probably wouldn't see it because I'm recording on Audacity, oh. not on the not on Zoom. Oh damn! Okay, well I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna say something like Oh, you thought we lost <laughs> see it the all. red light? <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, we're having a good conversation. We should probably like cut the cut the pre show banter and 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 get started, right? That's my my normal um, thirty minute pre show banter. Yeah, I, I started doing the setup this way because I, I was living in a studio apartment in a, another town. We. Uh, my girlfriend and I just moved uh, kind of north a little bit, but it, with I had the dogs in the in the room, and it, there was I don't know the way I set it up just made sense for my for my thing. So I, I've kind of kept it yeah. going that way, which is one of the reasons it's awkward for me to do video until I can figure out how to get it get, oh. a, get a camera set up, have it separate from the phone, and try to integrate the audio and the video. But the the audio, the way I have it set up, I've worked it out where it's so like super crisp this way and I can I can kind of edit out like um, if it's, there's a train in the background or something so yeah I'm not recording on zoom itself it's a very weird setup I don't know if anybody else does it this way but yes uh-uh. thank you what? for thank you for pointing that out we didn't want to miss anything <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny you because you mentioned anybody listening so all right cool um, <clears throat> yeah so that's what it's been like here one thing so uh we're recording on the 3rd of May. I am going to be going to um, the Rangers at Twins this hmm. Thursday. And that's the thing that I'm most eager for. I want to see what the baseball crowd is going to be like. It's an outdoor stadium. Um, they're selling tickets in pods of four. And I don't think like I think they're going to have us separated in the in the in the in the seats. Um, and like I, I had a few friends who went to yesterday's game and. They did they like they weren't masked. I don't know. Maybe they were maybe they were drinking a beer or something like that. But uh, uh that that'll kind of be the test. And then the Minnesota State Fair, which the governor made an announcement a couple of days ago that uh we're we're gonna be uh we're gonna have the state fair and it's gonna be a more or less normal event event. Um I don't know what more or less normal means. I'm somebody tweeted uh a few months ago, um I bet if the governor made the state, the, the, the Minnesota State Fair is the second biggest in the country, only second to Texas, because everything's biggest in Texas. But it is a huge deal. Um, they call it the Great Minnesota Get Together. And everybody co- like we I, I was driving home from from Dallas one year and I ran into like a few people in like Missouri and Iowa and stuff who are driving to Minnesota to, to attend the state fair. That's hmm. how big a deal it is. Um, so somebody tweeted a few months ago. Uh, I bet at, I bet if at Tim Walls mandated masks at the state fair, people would be willing to wear them. And the governor's response was a side eye emoji. That was it. Just the huh. side eye emoji. Um, and <laughs> and I was like and this was, you know, uh, when masks were still kind of new and we were like, oh, this is all going to be over. You know, and there's no way we're going to still be doing this a year from now or whatever. Um and I was just outraged by that, uh, hmm. you know, and I don't, um, yeah, I, I can't imagine, I, I don't know how they would enforce a mask mandate at the state fair, but you know, I mean, uh, the, I also didn't know how they would enforce business shutdown. So I have no idea, but, uh, anyway, what, what was I saying? Well, oh, right. So that'll be the, that'll, that'll be the second, that'll be the second big test after the twins game. Um, I have been a little bit heartened. We didn't have, we, we have never had an outdoor mask mandate here. Uh, the only time you're supposed to wear, the only time you're supposed to wear a mask outdoors is if you're like waiting to get in somewhere. So like if you're out at the line, out in line outside a bar or something like that. Um, and most people at the, like in the, in the, like the target, target parking lot 
have their masks on. I don't. I, I'm the I'm gonna pull the mask off as soon as I leave the door kind of person. But um, if you're just like walking down the street, most people are not wearing masks. And I actually in uptown Minneapolis, which is like you know progressive mecca, um, <laughs> I saw a guy come out of a coffee shop and enter the crosswalk and see people coming at him without masks on. And he like got a, Oh yeah, I can take this off now. Kind of look in his face and pulled off his mask. That to me was a good sign Mm -hmm. because that to me means that like, even the people in uptown dislike masks as much as I do, they're going through the motions and, you know, it might be half virtue signaling half actually believing that they're saving lives or whatever, but at least they know that they don't need to wear them outside. Like (laughs) for me, that's a line. Uh, cause you know, you hear stories coming from California where the, 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 you know, you're, you're out jogging and you're not wearing a mask and you know, you pass somebody on the sidewalk and it's like, Ooh, even joggers need to wear them. Come on, get with the program. And that that's creepy to me. That's really weird. Dude. What, what I hear those stories and it's mostly from, uh, like Jason Stapleton, Matt Erickson, Thad Russell, like people who live out there that I listen to their shows and and they talk about that. You know, it, it's it's mind boggling. Like people do people definitely wear masks outside here. Even in my apartment complex, people wear masks just walking the dog from the their apartment to the street. But um, no one's ever said anything to me for not wearing one. I mean, it, it's it's sort of like a you do you I'll do me kind of thing. Which, mm-hmm. yeah, which, which seems fine to me. I've never, even when I go into stores without a mask on, which I don't really do on purpose. Sometimes I just forget or it's, you know, I'm running in quick. No one's ever said anything to me here. Um, and it's not like I'm an incredibly intimidating person, maybe more so with the black eye than <laughs> I would be normally. <laughs> no, that's right. You dick van dyked your furniture. Yeah. I, I, yes. Right. Well, not, not as good as he did it. Um, yeah. yeah, the barrel roll I'm going to work on next time I get up at three o'clock in the morning and stumble <laughs> over my ottoman. But, uh, it, it's, um, it, it's, the, it's the vaccine thing that makes me way more nervous. And, and this was all, I mean, very predictable. A, a lot of people kind of saw that, saw that coming that I think, I think the masks are, are never going away in general. I think they'll be a part of our culture. They're, they're a piece of clothing now that, you know, too many businesses have started up selling masks. So they'll be around forever, but putting a mask on while it's annoying or, you know, if you're, if it's hot out, you're actually, if it's cold out, it's kind of nice to be honest with you. I I kind of enjoyed wearing the gaiters around my neck while it was winter here, but in the summer, it's like, Mm -hmm. all right, you're breathing in hot air. It's annoying, but you're not, you know, like injecting some fucking weird thing into your body. It, it seems to me I, I do not. We have a lot of pushback here in Connecticut about uh, the vaccine thing. Like the Libertarian Party has backed um, several groups who've gone up to the Capitol over the past couple of weeks and, and done protests. Um, I've linked to a couple of them. I'm not a protest guy, so I didn't go. But th- there was a good amount of people up there. And but in general, it, everybody here seems to be very pro vaccine. And, you know, I. I've stayed out of that argument. I try to equivocate as much as I can. If anybody asks me if I've gotten it, I'll say like, oh, yeah, I've gotten all 10 of them. I just I love donuts or something just to sort of yeah. throw them off the scent. Um, but that, that's that been really troubling just because I think at this point we know normal, healthy young people really don't have a lot to lose from getting COVID. It seems like mm-hmm. even though it's probably a very small amount of people. Uh, the side effects or the potential risks of this vaccine are, I mean, they're horrifying. 
like people's skin melting off, people dropping dead in their bathtub. Like what? <laughs> I, and I, I don't know. It, it's been so censored by the media and by the state and social media that I don't know if a lot of people know this, but it's, I mean, it's fucking terrifying. Do you think that's like a, a psyop? I mean, obviously it's happening, but I mean, it's horrifying shit that's happening. Your fucking skin melting off. Like what the fuck? Well, so, uh, here's, uh, so I, I got the vaccine or I've got the first shot anyway. I'm, okay. I got the second shot in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, and here is where, here's where I, here's where I landed on it. Like, obviously I did a lot of consideration before I, I didn't just impulsively go sign up for a vaccine for crying out loud. Sure. Um, so I've got, I've spent the last year telling people or maybe not telling people, but advocating that, that people be allowed to and encouraged to weigh their own risks and benefits. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're at high risk of having a pretty serious illness, if you get infected with this virus, which, you know, I, I, I understand where people are coming from when they say that they don't think that viruses even exist. You know, I mean, I, I've, I've listened to the arguments. Um, I think that probably, uh, I land in the viruses exist. This is a virus. And uh, oh, you mean like the, the germ theory sick. argument? Like that that whole thing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, <clears throat> germ theory versus terrain theory. Right. And then also uh, that, uh, you know, viruses are a little more, a, a little less understood than bacteria mm -hmm. and other, other disease causing pathogens. Um, so th this virus can make you very, very sick. And it, as someone with, a number of underlying health conditions, some by no fault of my own, some just because I like to eat a lot and don't like to exercise. Uh, <laughs> um, I, you know, obviously it still has a very low risk of killing me, but I don't want to get sick. I, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't want to lose my sense of taste for a month or however long it is. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's the, the, the loss of sense of taste is something that, you know, even young and healthy people get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I weighed all of that against the number of people who seem to have been getting these ma major terrible side effects from the vaccine. And to me, those stories coming out of, uh, I don't want to say anti-vax circles, but the, the you know, the anti-vax circles um, are about as sensationalistic and cherry picked as the stories of kids who got um, whatever that syndrome is that a, a handful of kids got. Um <laughs> Now, that being said, with the vaccine, you're intentionally injecting yourself. With COVID, you're just catching it. So I get that. Um, <clears throat> but to me, like my 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 risk factors uh, in getting COVID outweighed the potential risks of getting the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Now, let me tell you, after that first shot, I was on my ass for oh. several days. Huh. And that's not supposed to come until after the second shot, which tells me that I probably even though I got an antibody test and a T cell test um, in preparation, because I didn't want to get the vaccine if I had some sort of prior immunity. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't show, I wasn't, I was negative for both antibodies and T cells. I had an immune response to the vaccine, which, uh, which is kind of weird to me. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know what to think of that. And I'm kind of, I'm a little bit scared about that second shot because that's the one where you're supposed to really be um, sick for a day or two. Uh, so I don't know. I'll keep you posted on that. Well, I, I, I listened to – I'm 99% certain it was on uh, Jason's podcast where he was talking uh, – he brought up an article. He usually quotes Zero Hedge, so I'm just going to assume it was there, but mm -hmm. it could have been anywhere, where he uh, brought up a number that something like 2 million people got the first vaccine 
and never showed up for the second one, which yeah. is yeah, which, which, which is to, which is to your point. Yep. I, I've read that in, um, I mean, not that Zero Hedge isn't reputable. They're in a lot of ways more reputable than anybody, mm-hmm. but uh, I've heard that in, in mainstream sources as well. And yeah, I think that that says a lot. And then, you know, the, the fact that I, I, know, I know it sounds goofy for libertarians and anarchists to say, well, you know, that it's not FDA approved. But I mean, at some point, <laughs> it, just throwing stuff out there is like, well, first of all, if, if you could have produced vaccines, quote unquote, that this quickly in the past, why didn't you? And there's got to be like, you can't have it both ways. It can't be safe. And everything you've done prior to 2020 was just like needed a 10 year approval process. You can't have it both ways. And then there's the yanking of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Like, and, mm. and then, and that's, yeah, that's, that's totally mainstream, you know? And, and so, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I was in the military and I got jabbed with every fucking thing under the planet. I never questioned it. Yeah. I never even thought about it. They just said, you have to get this, this, and this. And I was like, okay, whatever. And they gave it to me. And, you know, and I've had a couple of, uh, I have Melissa Floyd on the show and my friend Jessica Cadu, and, and they've both had, obviously Melissa's made kind of a career out of this, you know, severe reactions to vac- vaccinations with their children. Um, I mean, I got all the same shit in the eighties that everybody else got. I'm almost 39, so grew up in the early 80s. I got all the shots and all the military shots. I never felt anything. It never bothered me. I never questioned it. And honestly, I I probably would have even gotten the flu shot if the girl I was dating at that time, you know, 12, 13 years ago, wasn't an RN and told me I didn't need it. She was like, it's stupid. We just do it because they make us do it at the hospital. You don't fucking need that. I was like, oh, I would have gotten it. And but with with this one, I mean, I, I I'm not against it. It just is doesn't it, none of it makes any sense to me, really. I, I don't really. I mean, I had COVID. I, I definitely had it once. I think I might have actually had it twice, and it wasn't pleasant, you know. And, and um, sure, it, it, it's, it's so it's not like I'm afraid of putting stuff in my body. I mean, I've done a bunch of drugs, like put myself through bullshit my whole life. I don't know, man. I, I just, I mean, maybe I'm, uh, I'm falling prey to the to the media hyperbole on, on the other side. You know, I don't know. It, it's, it just, it just feels wrong. Does that make sense? It feels uncomfortable to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe I'm subject to the propaganda like everybody else. I, well, and maybe, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. I, I, uh, I equate that kind of thing to the person who wears a mask because it's the right thing to do. You know, like I was mm. talking to a coworker. Well, not, not in person, obviously we are remote, but, uh, she was saying how uh, she didn't want to go. She couldn't imagine working out in a mask. And uh, I was like, you know, it's not, it's not too bad. You know, you can pull it down for a little bit to catch your breath or whatever. Cause I was going to the gym and uh, <clears throat> she was like, Oh, well I don't even go to a gym. Like I've just got my apartment building has a, has a weight room. Um, and I can't imagine wearing a mask in there. And I was like, but you, if you're going to be in there alone, like you probably don't even need to. Right. And she lives in Georgia where there's not even a, as far as I know, a mask mandate. Uh, and she was like, yeah, but it's the right thing to do. <laughs> that oh, to boy. me is, yeah. is just, it's just weird. Like, I don't, I don't weird. understand. It's like, yeah, obviously I'm not going to show my vagina. Why would I show my mouth? Like, I just, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, the, the, the gym thing is super weird too, because, um, I, I had just re-signed up for a gym. I, I just gotten out of a, a relationship at, um, right before 2019. So I kind of had like a year to myself and I'm like, you know, I'm going to start exercising more. I'm not going to drink booze anymore. I'm going to get myself in shape. And I just kind of got myself to that level 
right before this COVID shit hit. And my local gym, you know, did the same thing. They're like, you have to, you have to wear a mask when you come in. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And it it wasn't even a matter of principle. Like I'll, I'll wear it into a grocery store. I don't care. You know, it's not a, I'll go along to get along if it makes my Mm -hmm. day go smoothly. But I I was like, dude, I I mean, I I was an am pro rock climber for a while. Like, you know, pretty heavy person in like working out in the CrossFit community for a long time. If, if wearing a mask during a workout, like made sense, like people who are way more like lunatic oriented and working out would have just been doing that already. It just didn't yeah. like make sense. And, you know, I, I don't know, maybe you could look at it like putting the weight on the bat before you go to the plate to hit the home run. Maybe that's a way you could look at it. It just seemed something. It just seemed really strange that people would be okay with that. But then to your point, like just to signal that it's the right thing to do at that point, like, what are we even talking about? We're not even talking reality anymore. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts. And actually, uh, that's another, that's another thing here in Minnesota. Um, so I'm a member at planet fitness. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the one I was referencing too. So yeah. Yeah, sure. So I typically will go to a location in the suburbs. I, I live in the inner city. Like, um, I live in the part of Minneapolis that the cops are too scared to go to to shoot the black people who live there. Not to be <laughs> flippant about that, but like no, that was I pretty live, direct, I, actually. Yeah, yeah. I I live I, I live in I live like right in North Minneapolis, which is like the bad part of Minneapolis. Uh, so um, what was I saying? Oh, right. So I have to like there's not there's not a Planet Fitness near me, obviously. Uh, and uh, so I usually will drive to the suburbs and. So, you know, in the suburbs, like I was saying earlier about the Buffalo Wild Wings or whatever, um, they're not super strict on masks. So I typically will get away with whatever I can, uh, which means that I wear my mask on my chin so that I can breathe and smile at people and everything. Um, And most people in the gym are somewhere on the from the from the bottom of the nose to the bottom of the chin um, range. Hardly anybody wears their mask properly. So I figured great. We're all just going through this, going through the motions. And if you go to a gym, you understand that, um, you're putting yourself at risk of catching the plague. Uh, so about a month ago, maybe I decided that, um, I wanted to try out a newer location of planet fitness. So I went to the one in South Minneapolis. I also wanted to see the burned out police station and all the, all the mm-hmm. memorials to George Floyd and stuff. I just kind of wanted to see what it looked like. Cause I hardly ever made my way down there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it turns out that there's a, G- a Planet Fitness directly across from that burned down police station, which is still boarded up and burned out. Huh. Um, which, yeah. So anyway, um, I'm in the gym. I'm on the treadmill. I'm really overexerting myself, probably more than more than I, I should have. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I was very very out of breath. You were in and, the zone, man. You were in the zone. Yeah. Well, as per as per as per usual, I had my mask down, um, gulping on my Camelback water bottle. And, uh, this guy, I'm assuming he worked for the gym, but he wasn't like in uniform or didn't have like a planet fitness lanyard or anything like that. So I don't know for sure. Um, he comes up and he goes, you need to put your mask up. And I'm standing here like dying on the treadmill. Like, I mean, not even like, are you okay? Uh, I I know my face had to be red, if not purple. He goes, you need to pull your mask up. And I was like, Oh man, I'm just catching my breath. Give me a second. Um, and he goes, no, no, no. It's the rule. If you can't wear your mask, you can't work out. Oh, shit. Like Jesus Christ! What like what would happen if I like fell out right here? Like, would you call nine one one and put my mask on me first? Like, what? yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Right. It was messed up. So I'm not. I'm. I'll be working out in the suburbs for 
for the foreseeable future, at least until, and that's, um, back to master permanent, our governor proposed legislation that thankfully didn't even make it out of committee to mandate masks, um, as long as the CDC recommended them, Mm. which tells me, and, and our, so Minnesota has, you know, it's like the healthcare capital of the, of the world. We got the Mayo Clinic and a ton of insurance companies, probably not as many insurance companies as you guys have in, in Connecticut, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're up there. Um, and, uh, so like, I think he knows. And our, our former governor was married to a Rockefeller. So, you know, getting into the conspiracy theories a little bit, you know, Rockefeller medicine is what got us here in the first place. Um, so I think they know, I think that probably the CDC is going to recommend masks for as long as there's the, the threat of respiratory illness. Um, so it might not be like a permanent thing, uh, but flu seasons for sure. I think we're going to, well, we're going to be seeing people. Well, masks. I mean the, the risk of respiratory illness is perpetual and never ending. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, the, the risk of like the risk of injury, you know, like you could, I guess you yeah. could live in a bubble, but even then you could like what suffocate on the wall. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, oh boy. Yeah. That's weird, man. We're supposed to, um, I say, you know, supposed with air quotes, go back to normal on the 19th of this month. Everything's supposed to be lifted with this very tiny caveat at at the bottom of the the executive order that says, but masks should still be worn in indoor settings where social distancing is not uh, obvious or preventable or whatever. And that one little thing, I was like, oh, that that can mean whatever you want it to mean. Like if if I'm working behind a bar and I, you know, I lean forward to somebody to like because it's loud to hear them ordering a Bud Light or something. Does that mean I couldn't avoid social distancing? It, it seems so arbitrary that you could just bring it back whenever. You know, I, I'm lucky to be in an area where probably nobody really gives a shit about it. And like our, our town police department doesn't give a shit about it. And I don't really even think the governor gives a shit about it here. He's just kind of doing his thing. But yeah, those those arbitrary and sort of everlasting evergreen <laughs> you know, statements. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a little nail biting. You, you don't really know where that's going to go. And, 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 and so many people went along with this that, you know, it, yeah, if the next, even though the flu has essentially disappeared from the face of the earth this past year, if, so weird. if, um, you know, what, what happens when, when this happens again in the fall or something, do you just go back to it? I, I don't know. It, it's, oh man. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even I don't even know where to go with it anymore. It's just become so absurd. It's it's jumped the shark so much. The it makes me wonder though, like what the what the purpose of it is. You know, I mean it's it's obviously it's kind of a religious talisman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but like why? Why that and not a you know purple ribbon or something like that? I mean, you know, the the religious talismans always happen when there's a crisis. Mm-hmm. Bumper stickers and ribbons and F- uh, flag pins we remember yeah. the flag pin right all, that's the, the this is yeah, the, new, the face stuff. mask is the flag pin yeah so what what practical reason could they you know capital t they have for mandating us or pressuring us to obscure our faces other than other than breaking down like social ties, I guess, or, you know, civil, civil discourse, that kind of thing. <laughs> well, you, you talked, uh, you mentioned, um, that you liked smiling at people. I mean, those, those yeah. nonverbal cues. And, and one of the reasons that I, I won't, uh, mask up when I'm working 
is I, I can't do my job without nonverbal cues. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's, you know, there, there are many times that I can't use, you know, shouting English at people to convey my point. I have to use my eyes and my facial expressions to get my point across mm-hmm. in order to communicate with people so that everybody gets taken care of. I, I just can't do my job. And, you know, I, I guess I could go work at like a place that has no customers and <laughs> I could do my job with a mask on. But, you know, I like paying my bills and living a relatively nice lifestyle. So, you know, I, I, I'm of the belief that, you know, there certainly isn't, we could talk about like the world economic forum or all of these different communist socialist post Marxist groups that kind of want to control the world or the green New mm. deal or all that shit. I, I'm not a conspiracy guy in that, in that way. I just, I find that folks move kind of the way they move like bees in a hive without really thinking about it. And so, you know, politicians looking out for their own self-interest are trying to get reelected. They're trying not to get killed. And so they'll they'll jump on what they think the majority of people want from them and whatever the, the tide is going in a certain direction, they'll follow it and they'll just do their part to, you know, prevent uh, negative feedback. And then that ends up playing in kind of automatically to other people who kind of want control. And then that plays into a higher level of people who want control. And it just sort of self-perpetuates as a system rather than being coordinated. So that's kind of how I look at it. But then you have somebody like you know, DeSantis in Florida, who's probably, I mean, if he doesn't run for president in 2024, I I don't know who will. The the guy Mm. is like shaping up to be the next Trump as in him actually being trained to move his arms like Trump. So (laughs) yeah, I I mean, mean, he, and he lifted lifted the Florida state of emergency today. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. And it did. Yes. Correct. And, um, so you have that too, but but what that ends up doing is just exacerbating this divide in the country and, and or the world. And, you know, you could say, like, ask, was that by design? Is that what the, you know, quote unquote powers that be want? They just want to keep people divided. You know, I, I, I'm not even sure you need to orchestrate that. I feel like people divide naturally. And so they'll just do it without anyone pushing them to. You know, it, it, it's our natural social impulse, like a, a protectionist biological impulse to um, coordinate or group within a tribe for protection. And so you don't even have to organize it. We just do that automatically. And, and we did. We did exactly what nature programmed us to do over the last 12 months. We organized into tribes and we find ourselves more polarized than ever and biologically, just through our nature, we ended up playing into the hands of all the people that probably wanted, if they could have mandated it to happen, just got what they wanted anyway. That, um, that gets back into the, the paradigm shift too. Um, I think, I mean, throughout history and by history, I mean like into prehistory, um, this, this kind of wave of materialist to mystic, um, has I mean, it really is it really is a pattern and um actually ken wilbur who developed integral theory um and the the spiral dynamics people whose names i can't remember before him they kind of i think they lay it out the best uh although the, you know that there's also the cyclical people the pr sarkar and the mm-hmm. um the fourth turning people that 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 also kind of plays into it it's kind of like a, a wheel inside of a wave inside of a line um but anyway, you see, you see them going from, you know, like 
hunter gatherers to tribes, uh, hunter gatherers being materialist tribes being more mystic. Um, and then, uh, and then it goes into, it goes, and and really what it is, is like individualist to collectivist. The individualists are material are more materialistic. Collectivists are more mystic. Um, and even, and it doesn't matter like what the dominant religion is or the dominant, dominant political structure or anything like that is, uh, the, the, the individualist materialist, um, paradigm will always give way to the mystic collectivist paradigm. And then some new discovery will bring it back to a materialist individualist paradigm and, 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 it'll just continue forever and ever and ever. Amen. Um, and really, I mean, if you, if you really want to get into it, the, the Bible plays that out as well. Uh, you know, oh, you oh the, it definitely does. I mean, I, I've been doing a, yeah. um, I've been doing a series with my friend, Chris Manis. Um, we're loving we, that by the way. Oh, thank you for, yeah, that's, that's right. You did mention it. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, I, I think the way that we're breaking it down is, 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 I don't want to say it's vague, but it's very appealing to people from many different points of view. And I, the feedback I've gotten, the most the, the most positive feedback I've gotten from um, from people on on that subseries is from atheists. And I, I'm like my heart is warmed that because of that, because even if you're not like a quote unquote believer, you can still see the cycles and patterns. And that's what's important yeah. to me. So, yeah, uh, biblically, it's all there. You know, historically, it's all there. Ancient tribal civilizations it's all there like you're incredibly on point with all that i think the best book on the subject if you're if you're looking for a book to read and it's kind of a page turner which is weird because it's a book about the bible but uh it's called a father who keeps his promises Mm -hmm. um by a theologian named scott Hahn. he uh he's a professor at a catholic university and then also is the founder of a kind of biblical think tank i guess it's called the saint paul saint paul center for biblical theology i think something like that um but yeah, it's a, it, he calls it salvation history. Uh, the history of the kind of series of covenants that God makes with, with first, you know, the couple or first the man, then the couple, then the family, um, then the tribe and then the nation, the empire and then the world, mm. uh, which, you know, gets you into the, the universal or Catholic church. Um, uh, and regardless of where you come from, uh, from a religious standpoint, uh, it's, it's tough to deny that the sort of like holistic integral vision of whatever the to to use Vin Armani's word, you know, whatever the most high is mm-hmm. with the creation, this this, um, you know, extra material reality that that I mean, the fact that we feel emotions shows that there is reality outside of the material like there are concept there's conceptual realities that um that we can't we can't touch and feel and taste um <clears throat> th- this this stuff exists and uh, that's what uh that's what i think you know we're we're just we're just entering an era where that stuff is becoming more important than than the than the science the material Mm. You know, scientific method science, not the trust the science science. Obviously, the trust the science science is rely on the priesthood. You know, uh, it, it's it's trust in the emotions that we tell you to feel. 
Well, um, and, and I mean, and, and for now, and, and since we're entering this era, since we're not like established in the era, they're having to, they're having to really do a lot more coaxing than they probably will in 10 or 20 years. I mean, that's kind of where we're headed, I think, where it becomes just second nature. Of course, I'm going to wear a mask. Of course, you know, of course, the governor is going <laughs> to shut down the state. What are you crazy? Yeah. If we don't shut down the state, then it won't rain or whatever. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's literally what it is. I mean, it's the same. It's the same thing as a rain dance. Yeah. Um, and yeah. You only have to you only have to look at Tom Woods's charts to know that whether the state is shut down or not has absolutely no bearing on whether the virus spreads in that state. Yeah. You it, know, it, I mean, it, it, it just it's just it's just a rain dance. Oh, yeah, man. And and you're, yeah, you're on point. And it, it, what it does is it invokes like we, we like to think, you know, maybe not you and I, but <laughs> the royal we like to think that um, we're so much more evolved than our ancestors, right? Mm-hmm. That we're, we're smarter, we have science, we have, you know, we, we've come to an understanding of the world through logic and reason and facts and, you know, and, and you know, we're not going to succumb to all of that religious bullshit and nonsense of our, you know, caveman ancestors. And then you look at what we're doing as a society and we're just doing the same shit. We're doing the same shit to survive and get along and be tribal mm-hmm. as people from, a thousand years ago or 2000 years ago or, <clears throat> or 10,000 years ago. It, it's just, you know, 13,000 years of humanity is not even enough time for there to be like a lineage split, right? You, you can't even like have a, a derivative genetic split. So we're still basically performing Plato's cave. We're still basically yeah. the same people we were 13,000 years ago. And so we're succumbing to and falling prey to exactly the same shit as all of our ancestors. Yet this society just doesn't accept ancestry at all. Like we, we, we are so used to having our cell phone in our hand that can answer all of our questions that we've forgotten how to remember things. Or we're so used to being able to dial somebody up and talk to them that we kind of forgot how we even got to know them in the first place. And it's so easy for us to go buy food at the supermarket that we don't remember how to actually make food. So I think there is something about looking to indigenous societies or ancient traditions that that, either thrived at that time or continue to thrive now, or even something like a cargo cult and just say, like, we're not that much different from them. We're still going through the same fucking motions they're going through. And we're looking at them like they're these primitive cavemen, fucking Neanderthals. And they'd probably look at us and be like, no, they're doing the same fucking shit we're doing. Yeah. And like while you were talking, I was also thinking, and this is a bad habit, but whatever. Um, That's what most people should be doing when I'm talking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look at how Wikipedia has evolved over the, what, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years that it's been in existence. Mm -hmm. It started out as, um, people earnestly seeking to make a reliable source of information. Um, something it's almost like hunter gatherers, but with different technology. I mean, like we're, we're, we're looking for the most reliable mental food that we can possibly provide for, uh, ourselves. I mean, it was, it, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty individualistic pro, uh, project, um, individual editors, collaborating to make a, a good progress, a, a good pro- uh, product. Um, and as we have morphed from this materialist, individualist, 
culture into a magical collectivist culture, it has become just another magical spell. Mm. I mean, you can't open up a, a Wikipedia article that is on a controversial subject anyway without reading the without reading the propaganda um, of the of the tribe that is editing Wikipedia articles, which is the kind of tech savvy, brainy, um, progressive. I mean, it's not like a factory worker is editing Wikipedia in his spare time usually. <clears throat> uh, yeah. So it makes me, I mean, it kind of makes me wonder if like Wikipedia might be like the, the archetype of, of our transition from the nouveau hunter gatherer to the nouveau, uh, shamanic tribe. Hmm. Do you do you do you see what I'm saying? I, I, I do. Sense? It, it, it's one of I those. So. It's one of those things that you know. For I think for now, until you know, Neuralink turns us into you know Terminator Two Judgment Day. I, I think it's impossible to escape the mystical because it's so hardwired into the human genome, and and I guess mimetically as well. Uh, one being mm-hmm. the consequence of the other that we've gotten to you know gotten to understand that the future predicts the past. So something like Wikipedia can be rewritten or reorganized or, you know, manipulated to tell a truth, you know, 10 years from now that it couldn't tell now. And that's kind of what we've always done, right? When people talk about revisionist history, what they're, you know, what they're insinuating is people are going back and fucking up real history and trying to manipulate it to their own ends. And you're like, no, that's like what you did. (laughs) Like you're doing exactly that. And we're going back and we're trying to figure out exactly what happened. And that that was my – when I started talking with Chris on the Bible, I said, I just want to go back and I want to look at this in the context of the people living at that time. I have no dog in this fight. You know, I'm not really sold on anything or any other thing. I'm just interested in learning. Let's just look at what the story in that moment, in that context to those people, what, what that story was trying to say. And I feel like, you know, people who look at revisionist history they look at it like we're trying to reinvent the world. And it's like, no, I just want to go back and understand what actually happened in that moment, even if that is also manipulative in the moment, right? And so moving forward with all of this, like when people just Google something and the first thing that pops up, they're like, oh, well, this is my truth now. And it's like, well, all right, well, is it? Yeah. I mean, is, is that, so I think that's kind of, kind of where you're get where you're getting at. Yeah, I think so. And but on the other hand, uh, I think some valuable stuff has also come to – I mean I was talking to Stefan Molyneux and his his conception of truth is so foreign to me. And it, I think it's another one of those things where like I probably used to think like this and like I just forgot how I, how I evolved to where I am now. Mm. Um, but his, his conception of like what is objective truth, it's – it's determined by what we see, taste, like what we what we what we observe through our senses. And to me, there's nothing more subjective than what we observe and hmm. experience through our senses. Okay. Um, to me, like objective, and and this is something that he got on me about because I kept saying to me, uh, but to me, objective truth is something that is inherent in the phenomenon itself. So, like, if murder is objectively immoral, then it's immoral because that's just part of being murder. It's not like it's immoral because everyone hates murder. Uh, what he calls like a universally, universally preferable behavior. 
Um, and I don't think that that's a gap that can be bridged. And I think that my conception of truth is preferable to his. And I think also that being that his is such a like, <laughs> well, like Randian or modernist, whatever view of truth, it's probably not going to serve him very well in the future, which is probably fine because he's not, you know, I, I'll probably outlive him and uh, he might not need for it to serve him for very long. Um, but it just, it just feels very outdated to me. Interesting. So what, what, what I took out of what I took out of that and kind of what he's been saying for a while. And it, I, I, mm. I, I didn't listen to uh, Stefan Molyneux during the Trump years and, and that's nothing against him or his show. I was just operating businesses sure. at a certain level. I just didn't have time to listen. I wish I had, to be honest with you, I, maybe I wouldn't been caught so off guard the last 15 months. But what I got from that was he's essentially articulating the same thing Vin Armani's articulating, but he's trying to articulate it in a way that equivocates the meaning. So w when I listen to him talk, what I hear is kind of the same conversation we just had, right? Where, where it's, you know, tradition, purpose, meaning, faith, that like all of those things keep that there's certain things that human beings do that cause the species to flourish. And I mean that very literally, like it causes more babies and more babies and more babies. Right. And there's certain things that we do that, yep. that don't allow for those things to happen. And when I heard him talk, he just talks about it in a way that is like a little esoteric and a little bit less blunt. But that's how I interpreted what he was saying. And I, I don't know if that goes all that counter to what you were getting at. So it's interesting that you looked at it completely differently. Yeah. I, <laughs> a lot of it is, I mean, you know, when, when Vin was on your show, uh, he, he said that he still identifies as an atheist because of the meaning of the word believe, not because of like, not because of his conception of God, but because of how we have as a society, because that's all, that's all definition is. There's no such thing as like the objective definition of a word. Correct. Um, words are just collectively defined. Right. Uh, but because of like, because of the word believe, he's, he gets hung up on that. And I. <laughs> so, so, okay. <clears throat> so I didn't see him as getting hung up on it. What I saw him, saw him doing was figuring out a way to market and message his idea to atheists in a way that would be less off-putting to them. So if he were to say mm -hmm. something like, well, I still consider myself an atheist, well, what you're doing right there is you're, you're messaging to that person that you're not going to deny their, their own belief system. So you're already pulling them into to your marketing message. And then you're saying, okay, I'm going to now explain why I still have a, a belief system. So he's, if you're somebody who is a theist or somebody who's a believer in God or mysticism or whatever, or you're just a completely rational, logical thinker, I could see how that could be off-putting. But my interpretation was he's just trying to figure out a way to reach atheists by just using some intricate marketing techniques, if that makes sense. Sure. Well, and, and I think also it's a way to reach people like you and me. I don't, I don't know how you identify. I don't identify as an atheist. Um, but I also don't identify as, I guess I, I, am I'm, I'm more or less agnostic, I guess. Uh, but here we are talking about Vin Armani and yeah. his belief system. Yeah. You know? Well, well, you know, I, I, I grew up <laughs> probably in, uh, selling his book for him too. I mean, which we both read and both loved, you know? Yeah. And I actually went out and bought a copy just because I, I'm just, I don't know. I wanted to be a nice guy and contribute. Sure. But, um, 
you know, I, I grew up Roman Catholic. And when I graduated high school, my, my father told me the reason that I was raised in the Catholic faith was so I'd have something to reject when I got to be an adult instead of him. And I thought that was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's really great. Yeah, it's a good line. He's a philosophy professor too. So I grew up in a very material household, but also like I was still exposed to the church. I, I never... Uh, enjoyed the Roman Catholic Church because I always saw it as a massive bureaucracy. I always thought there was so many, there were so many people between me and what I was supposed to be talking to. And I got into the occult when my parents got divorced. I was maybe like a 13 or 14. I got into a lot of like Aleister Crowley and the Golden Dawn and H.L. McGregor Mathers and all kinds of stuff like that. And and then I got into Jewish mysticism and, and the Kabbalah and I, I just explored a lot of things over my life. And then, like I was saying, I, I got into this just business oriented materialist trap for so long. And now I'm reacquainting myself with my intellectual and spiritual curiosity. So yeah, I guess the, the best way I could explain myself to, to you or to the listeners is to say I'm kind of open to whatever. And I'm I'm very much closed off to nothing. Like there's very few things that I wouldn't accept. And, and that's just, you know, I, I've done ayahuasca, uh, a lot of, I've done a lot of acid and mushrooms too in very non-closed settings. I've also had, you know, many moments in my life where I felt like I shouldn't have survived this. There, there's, there was something mm -hmm. that was working above me that moved pieces around to get me through this situation because if I were to script it out, it wouldn't make any fucking sense. And maybe off air, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example of one of those stories, but there are just some things that just seemed way too fucking coincidental. And I don't know, maybe they just were. But I chose to keep an open mind and say, I felt something important there inside. And at that time, I would have called myself an atheist. I really would have, I would have been like, I don't believe mm -hmm. in any of that shit. But you feel something and, and you can't, you can't deny that it happened to you. So, but, but at the same time, at the same time, I should kind of make a disclaimer you don't want to be open to so many things that you drive yourself fucking crazy and have no belief system. So th right. there are things that work for us as human beings that drive us forward. I think, you know, um, the idea of shooting an arrow and missing the mark as being the definition of sin is kind of a good, really a good analogy that if you're moving in a certain direction that doesn't hurt people and take their stuff and and embraces the golden rule or the life of Christ that you don't actually have to believe that Christ existed if you're living a life like that and mm -hmm. you're probably going to benefit people in a pretty good way just moving along that path in that direction and if you move in the opposite direction a lot of really crappy shit's going to happen to you there's something to that there's something to that pattern what a what another cool thing about the the arrow analogy and I, for the audience this is us still talking about Vin Armani. <laughs> seriously. <laughs> um, oh uh, but uh, seriously, if you haven't read Render, Render Under Caesar, you like, you need to. Uh, yeah. And I'm not an affiliate. I'm, uh, and I'm uh, critical of Vin Armani in a lot of ways. Um, but you need to read the book. Uh, in any case, he makes this analogy that um, sin is missing the mark. That's like the, the Hebrew word for sin means missing the mark. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean doing bad. It doesn't mean evil. It doesn't mean anything else other than missing the mark. Um, and if you listen to Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris talking about the word truth, mm -hmm. Jordan Peterson also uses an analogy with an arrow. Um, Sam Harris thinks that truth 
just means like uh, true versus false. Um, like the, the, you can, you can prove it in a lab. It's true. If you can't prove it in a lab, then it's false. Um, or at least untrue. Whereas with Jordan Peterson, true means straight. Like the, the arrow flies true. Um, it means that the, the arrow is going in the direction that it was meant to go and it's going to, it's going to hit its mark. Um, so in a lot of ways, sin and truth, or I guess the absence of sin, like not sinning and truth, uh, have a lot in common, at least mm. linguistically, or at least uh, analogically, between these two kind of great thinkers of our time. Um, uh, so, I was curious about psychedelics. I've been I've been curious about it for a while. Um, you've got some people saying that psychedelics open you up to malevolent forces, whether that's demons, aliens, or your own negative psychological reality. And then on the other side it opens you up to benevolent forces, whether that's God or the universe or um, just your pineal gland uh, opening up and making you a more creative and enlightened person. Where do you land on that? And why do you think there are such disparate camps and should I, or shouldn't I do mushrooms? Go. Um, Okay. So first of all, I would tell everybody as a default, don't do them. Don't do them. Right. Okay. My, my advice to everybody is do not put anything into your body that's going to alter your state of mind, period. End of story. Now, feel free to disregard me and go down your own personal path and try to Other figure than out alcohol. Right. Mr. Bar manager. Uh, well, so I was essentially a functioning alcoholic for about eight years okay. and to the point where I would probably drink a liter of some type of booze, whether whiskey or vodka, pretty much every day for like the better part of a decade. So. Uh, I got to the point where my hangovers got so bad that I just couldn't function anymore without alcohol. Like I, it wasn't even that I wanted to drink. It was like I can't get out of bed unless I slug back some whiskey. It was that fucking bad for me. And it was probably when I ended my last relationship before my current one where I just – I kind of went through a couple months of sort of I'm going to go total David Duchovny Californication and just launch into this and get it all out of my system. And then I just sort of cut it out. So like I do drink here and there, but I have this really fucking vivid PTSD with hangovers where if I feel myself even remotely getting close to a point where that might happen, like I physically can't drink anymore. Like I'll start shaking and I have to put it down. It's fucking nuts. So that's <laughs> that's my little tangent off with the drinking. When it comes to psychedelic experiences. So here's my thought on that. I feel like we're, we're not experiencing a world above us. We are allowing ourselves to experience the world around us right now where you, you, you take down these natural filters that just survival instinct and tribal biology sort of, uh, predicate the need for on a daily basis, right? So if I'm driving to work, I need to drive on the highway to get to work. Obviously, my attention's focused on getting from point A to point B and not being killed by anybody driving next to me or a deer hopping in front of the highway. So you're, you're very much focused on this one goal, right? This missing, not missing the mark to get to where you need to go. When you take a hallucinogen or you have a hallucinogenic experience, you're pulling down all of those filters to a very basic level that to me is not like you're not ascending 
to something, you are sort of descending into a, a, a baseline of what we would be without the need for a filter, without the need to figure out our surroundings, without the need to protect ourselves from outside influence or, or someone shooting us from afar or a car dragging me off the road. That's how I've always interpreted it, but that doesn't make for as good of a story, I suppose, as a lot of people who've tripped. Um, I always felt like I was getting much more in tune with myself without all the filters. So that that's that's my thought on that. About, um, I think it was Jung who said, beware of unearned wisdom. It might have been Nietzsche. Anyway, they were, whoever it was, he was talking about psychedelics and, uh, yeah, like if you don't, if you don't, well, I mean, hey, why don't we talk about Vin Armani for once? If you don't have the, <laughs> if you don't have the proof of work, um, that like you actually did the work to get this insight, then you kind of cheated mm. in getting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess that's part of, although, I mean, Vin is a huge advocate for maybe not a huge advocate, but he has done and does not regret doing ayahuasca ceremonies and uh, has at the very least told me that, you know, he wouldn't be opposed to kind of counseling me on it. Um, Yet his, I I would say his interpretation of his experiences is not the same as mine. I I would say he found himself ascending or understanding something that was kind of above him that he was now he would say the well. I shouldn't speak for somebody else, but my interpretation is sure, sure. He, he's pulling down the filters to see something above him. In my opinion, would be I'm pulling down the filters to feel something at a base level. If that if that makes sense, how I would see the difference. Would you consider yourself more on the materialist or mystic kind of personality line? Uh I I am I I am very skeptical of large movements, large groups. Anything that a majority of people follow, I, I just get, I'm very skeptical of anything, but I have this uh, in, in innate feeling that there's something bigger than me out there. And I've tried to fight that. I mean, honestly, I've tried to fight that for most of my life. And I just, I can't beat it back. I, I can't seem to beat that, that dragon down. It keeps reasserting itself in my life, despite my best intentions to destroy the fuck out of it. And, and it when when I really started focusing on cycles and patterns, I started realizing that the, it, it might be God or it might just be programmed in my DNA to, yeah. to, to, to follow this path for the sake of survival. So I don't know, but I'm not sure it's even, it even matters because I'd be moving in the same direction regardless. So when- that's probably the worst way to answer your question because I didn't really answer it at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you say you have a feeling that there's something greater, um, would you would you call that? Uh, would you think of it as more like a like an intellectual or like a knowledge? No, or more like a like a like a emotion or a feeling. No, I, I would say there's. Um, if I had to pick one of those two, I, I'd say it's an emotion or a feeling. Yeah, that there there's some sort of connectedness that. Again, I've, I've tried really hard to not pay attention to, but every time I, I try to fight it, I find myself in a worse place than when I accept it. And when I accept it, I find myself at ease, much more peaceful, having better relationships in my personal life, being much more focused on achieving 
uh, you know, wealth and prosperity for whatever that means, that there, there is something about fighting this feeling that doesn't put me in a good place. And when I accept it, it does put me in a good place. And that's, you know, that's about as materialist as I can get. It's just here are the results of my actions based on two separate things in a, you know, double blind controlled study. <laughs> and yeah, it, 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 if I keep ignoring what this particular thing makes me feel like, that I'm going to keep making mistakes. And if I just succumb to it, if I just say, okay, whatever this is, guide me, you know, I, I'll, I'll pick a random way to talk to you, whether it's the Jesus prayer of the Orthodox tradition, or whether it's some Hindu text or whatever, whatever connects me in a way that I can communicate with this entity or feeling or emotion or biology. When I do that, my life ends up being better off. And there's just no way to deny that's what's, that's what's happened to me, you know, and, I, and, and that plays very well into all of the cycles and patterns that I see throughout history when I look at them. The reason I ask that, um, it makes me wonder if uh, one's reaction to psychedelics has to do with their predominant mode of being on that on that sort of continuum. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and because I, well, so Vin, Vin, who, you know, we, we have kind of held up as the sort of advocate for psychedelics, is very materialist um, by temperament. Mm. And... So like the first, the first section of render under Caesar, he reasons his way into the Trinitarian God. And I have done that exact same reasoning. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have the concepts of order chaos and, and, and logos, uh, at the time that I did this reasoning. Um, but, uh, I did essentially the same thing, the, the word, the breath and the, and the explanation or something like that. Um, I wrote a whole paper on it when I was like 20 something. Um, so it, I, I do wonder, like, if I were to do shrooms, would I have more of a, uh, a positive, enlightening, raising up experience or more like you, where it kind of brought me back down to baseline and maybe even descent below baseline? I don't I, know. That's, I, that's, that's weird. It's something to think about, I think. I, I think what what most people I've I've talked to or experiences with uh, kind of go through is you, you're going to find out a lot about yourself either way, right? That there's going to be, you know, because because no, I, I don't know any human beings and certainly I'm not this way that, that are 100% honest with themselves. Like we, we just have these filters yeah. that everything goes through and we're all kind of fucked up and refracted in our thoughts and language. And, and we kind of have to be to survive on a daily basis. And when you do something that breaks down all of those filters, you find yourself like left very broken. And it's one of the reasons that, I mean, you, you, you have to do ayahuasca in a, in a controlled setting with this, with the shaman, you, you have to. Sure. Yeah. And, and even if you're doing, cause I, I did shrooms and, and uh, LSD recreationally when I was a kid, you know, in high school or whatever. Um, even, even that I, I wish I had, I wish I had done it in a controlled setting more because I think I would have gotten more out of it. But even looking back, I would say it broke me down. Every single time I did it, it broke me down to understand that all of the shit that I built up around me to protect me to get through my everyday existence was just that. It was just a shield. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Obviously, you have to survive in the, in the real world. But it's there. there's 
there's this thing in you that I, I guess there are ways to get there that don't involve drugs or hallucinogens, like the, whether it's meditation mm. or certain types of like, um, I guess meditation is probably the best thing or Zen practices, or I think those, those ways of going about uh, personal introspection are probably achieving the same thing, you know, and I, I haven't yeah, gone through what, those practices, but I would guess that's probably achieving the same thing. That's what um, got me interested in the subject in the first place was uh, I have, I've like attempted spirituality. Um, I've attempted meditation, uh, even, you know, up to and including like Zen Buddhism services weekly for, you know, a long time. All I get out of it is a, is a, a, I wasted an hour. Mm. I have sore knees or I have a sore back or, um, I've been repeating this mantra or this rosary or whatever it was. Um, and when I have described that to people who, you know, have experience with psychedelics, they've told me like, yeah, well, maybe you just need a little bit of a little bit of a training wheels or, you know, a little booster. Um, and so that's what kind of got me at least open to the idea of doing psychedelics. I've always been sort of anti, I, I didn't, I didn't even try weed for the first time until I was in my mid thirties. Uh, we're, you, you and I are like exactly the same age. Uh, and well, dude, the, the weed now, you might as well be doing the acid I did 20 years ago. I mean, it's <laughs> fucking crazy. Like I, I, I that's smoked, what, I smoked that's my ex's ACK weed. Too. It was like 2017. I smoked my ex's weed and thinking it was like this fucking swag bud that we used to do three foot bong rips on somebody's couch in high school with. And I smoked it like that. And I was just curled up into a, into a ball on the couch crying for my mother. So yeah, maybe you were, <laughs> you were, you were closer God. to where you thought you were going. The first time I ever did weed, I was, um, it, it was in this really weird, like not quite dating, not quite friendship relationship with this, this, this dude who, he was just into, he was into all kinds of stuff. He, he was like your typical, I don't know if you're into Myers-Briggs, but he, he was like your mm. typical INFJ. Um, yeah, I'm familiar like with it. Sure. Just sure. So the, it's like the, it's like the rarest of the Myers-Briggs personality types and it, obviously horoscopes for smart people, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I get it. Like Myers-Briggs is, is junk science, but, but he was like, when you read the profile of an INFJ, that was him. Um, uh, so anyway, he, <clears throat> he, he was a nightly weed smoker just to get his emotions in order. And so when we were, when we were in this weird kind of half dating, no labels relationship, I smoked weed with him once and we watched his very favorite movie, which is Return to Oz. And I was like, oh man, I remember seeing this when I was a kid. Oh, I remember the script to this movie. <laughs> And I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting there try, trying to predict what the next line was going to be. Uh, and this is this is my materialist, intellectual, um, just completely heady self. I ran experiments with my own brain trying to determine whether it was the weed talking or me actually like recovering this memory of this movie that I hadn't seen in 30 years. Um it was just a weird experience. And then I fell asleep. So that was my, that's, that's been pretty much my experience with weed every single time is just me doing weird things and then falling asleep, which I hear, I hear, I hear is pretty normal too. I don't know. It, it's, you know, but cannabis at this point has gotten to, it's gotten to a level of quality that I just, it's just not my thing. I, I, I had that one experience like four years ago with my ex's weed and I just went, ah, you know what? It's not for me. And, you know, I, I like the Cheech and Chong, 
stone out, fall asleep, eat, eat some yeah. candy bars kind of weed. And that's just not what this is. And but but to be fair, the I, I, I would have called it a light acid trip for sure. What what I experienced that I and I, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> you know, I, I just wanted to go to bed and uh, I got a light acid trip instead. And that's not like a good thing to just have thrown on yourself. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's interesting, man. I, I, I don't know. I don't know where we're going here as a as a species. What's going to happen with us? I, I don't think that I don't know if humans are going to make it unless we just stop being human. Like there, there's this transhumanist sort of Elon Musk Neuralink kind of, yeah. you know, world economic forum way of integrating us with machines and shit. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to make it, you know, age wise to that place. And I'm OK with that. I, I, I like I like the human experience. I think the human experience is 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 good for me. And maybe that's just growing up in the 90s. And that's just what I like. But I don't I don't think I want to live in a world where I'm part cyborg and, you know, communicating <laughs> with people fucking telepathically and shit like I don't know. Maybe, maybe sure. it'll be dope. Maybe it'll be super dope to live in a world like that. But I just don't think I'm the person for it. And so whomever ends up there, I guess they can decide if that's how they want to move forward. Well, if the if the if the cycle holds, then the next materialist age is going to be here pretty quick. Um, like, <laughs> yes, I mean, yes. that, that's the thing. These, these waves, it's not like, uh, it's not like the, it's not like the, the crests and I don't remember the parts of the wave, but the, it's not like the, it's not like the waves are getting shorter. Um, they're, or they're staying the same. Uh, what am I trying to say? They're not like staying the same modulation. Uh, the, the wave cycles are getting narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower. Um, and that that gets back into integral theory. I mean, it, it, it children like the human lifespan has to be able to experience all of these stages from hunter gatherer um, or you know the, the the breastfeeding all the way to um, the materialist to the postmodernist to the now integral, um, which is what I would say is the age that we're entering. This mystical age is the integral age, um, and we're going to have to get through it. And it's going to it's it's going to need to. Um, it's going to need to be shorter than all of the previous ones. I mean, the modern age didn't last nearly as long as the pre-modern age, uh, which, you know, you could describe as like the dark ages up to the enlightenment. Um, that was hundreds of years. The modern age only lasted, you know, from the maybe 300, something like that. It's like three, 400 years. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say that probably Ayn Rand and the atomic bomb are like the end of what (laughs) I would call the modern age. There you go. Um, Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. But that's the that's the other thing is that each of these ages ends with like an absurd caricature of what it was founded on, too. Mm. And because, um, I mean, if you look at Ayn Rand compared to like Adam Smith, I mean, she was she she was just a, she was just a nutcase. She she was taking shortcuts to get where these great thinkers and I'm, you know, I, obviously Ayn Rand is smarter than me, but uh, she's, I, I'm not she's, sure. I'm not sure that's true. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> um. She. She. The, hmm, I'm like brainstorming with myself and sputtering, but uh, Ayn Rand replaced replaced reason with dogma. Mm. And is that is that is that what ushers in a new age? Is I mean, I, I guess it could be. Because then, because then, with with Ayn Rand replacing reason with dogma. You get the postmodernists, um, Foucault and Derrida and Leotard, um, for all of their faults, and there are many, 
they were thinking deeply. Yes. And broadly. And then you fast forward, I mean, not long, less than 100 years, less than a, less than 50 years, I would say, from like the, the 60s to the mid 2010s, maybe 2020, you know, whatever. Um, you've got people replacing their thought with this new what Jordan Peterson is calling postmodernism, but it's more of like a dogmatic authoritarian, hmm. uh, just like heuristic way of seeing the world. Like my, my, my lived experience is reality. That's a, that's a far cry from, you know, maybe we should consider people's lived experiences as part of reality, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah. Wow. Well, well, it's interesting that there, I mean, well, let me think how to word this, uh, yeah. To, to, to take the Hegelian dialectic in a way that the postmodernists would have shunned to use, you know, uh, logic and reason and, you know, postmodern sort of symbolic thinking or questioning everything to come mm -hmm. to a resolution, right, is, is not what the postmodernists would have wanted. And it's not what the Jordan Petersons of the world really want either. So there, there like is no synthesis for right. all of this stuff. It just and, – and I think we don't have nearly enough time to get into this. But it, it's one of the yeah, things – Man, why don't we get into the really interesting thing like 12 minutes before we're – Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna just drop this, this fucking thing that's probably going to just turn it, the, the, the rest <laughs> of the people that are, are listening off. Uh, it, it's one of the things that really I think pushed Nick Land into his accelerationist theory was – trying to reason what we just talked about for the last like two and a half minutes that he was trying to find, he was saying, fuck the synthesis, right? The, the dialectics fucking done. We're going to just push all of this to the breaking point, like double, double down, triple down, quadruple down on all this fucking shit and let it destroy itself. And then out of the ashes, we're going to see what we can, what we can build. And, that seems to me to be – well, it's pretty extreme, number one. But huh, I, I yeah. think when you're when you're yeah. trying to find resolutions all the time with things that just don't resolute, then you're, you're driving yourself crazy. So maybe he's got a point. Like maybe, you know, y Yarvin and Land are not always on the same trajectory. But maybe there is something to just letting it all collapse and refinding ourselves – and reimagining what this is because I think it's going to be very much like almost like a grand, uh, grand, a groundhog day of culture. We're going to spring back up. We're going to kind of start like we did in, you know, 4000 BC and we're going to end up going through the same cycles and patterns again. It might be better just to get there than to keep this going. But I don't know. Maybe we'll end up colonizing the solar system. Who knows? Yeah. Or or just – Sorry, my dog is barking. I hope you can't hear that on the mic. Oh, but, it's fine. Um, That's life. Colonizing the solar system or, I mean, just experiencing a new, a new, more reasonable paradigm. I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing. I mean, if we've shifted from reason to dogma, then it would seem reasonable to me that what we will need is more reason. Hmm. Um, and... I think it's bound to come about. I mean, look, I mean, you, you mentioned Nick Land and um, I'm not familiar with his work. I am pretty familiar with Curtis Yarvin's work, uh, who they're kind of associated, I guess. Mm -hmm. I guess um, if not actually associated, then at least associated in the kind of 
cultural brain trust or whatever. Um, anyway, Yarvin has been doing some tremendous work uh, recently that has nothing to, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not his old stuff. It's not, it's not, you know, neo reactionary or whatever. It's definitely um, different. Or at yeah. least, yeah. And, it, you know, obviously, I, I don't know if his, I don't know if his predictions are going to come true. I would, I cer- certainly I would prefer his, his, you know, vision for the future of America um, to the current state of America. It's not, it's not my libertarian ideal, but uh, it's better than, it's better than what we got, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so any, anyway, I, th- what I'm saying is people like Curtis Yarvin and, Hell, I mean, throw in the 1619 project, people. I mean, they're 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 doing for for all their faults, they're doing work. They're they are rethinking the dogma that uh, that has kind of calcified and become what has replaced thought in the the sort of latter days of the postmodern age. Hmm. Um, you, you know what I think when I think of things like the 1619 project, I'm I'm constantly brought back to. Thaddeus Russell's Renegade History of the United States book. Yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, that was a, a good Hegelian dialectical synthesis uh, mm-hmm. of, of, of competing viewpoints because <clears throat> I, at, at the time I read it, I think I read it I mean, a year after it came out. It's so like 2013 or something. I didn't even know who he was. And, and obviously, I fell into that fucking trap again of not paying a lot of attention. And all of a sudden last year, I'm like, oh, this guy wrote that book. <laughs> and uh, oh, he's like all over the place and really important. But uh, when I read it, I, I was very much more in the on the rebellious side of the argument. I, I would say the Thaddeus Russell side of the argument. And now I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm more on the John Adams side of the argument, where I think I don't know. You, know, I, I've often said libertarianism without morality is just degeneracy, and I think there's something to that. There's a little bit more to the ideas of this country uh, springing up the way the founders, in their you know political coup to right wing coup to create the constitution, that I, I would have said that was a negative, you know, two three years ago. Now I'm thinking, shit, maybe it wasn't. Maybe that like staved off civil war for eighty years. You know, maybe it was a good thing that they did that. So, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I, I don't know where this where this culture ends up or whether it's, you know, that Austin Peterson had a, a great quote like four or five years ago. He said, you know, so, something along the lines of like America was built on the backs of the renegades and the, I don't know, something cowboys and gun gunslinging and whatever. And we should appreciate yeah. that every 4th of July. And I was like, yeah. Was it maybe, but is that good? Is it not good? Are we supposed to follow some kind of moral agenda? Like, is it good to just be constantly rebellious? Is that creating anything? Are we really doing that? Or maybe we need like, so for me, I think it all just comes back to balance. It's don't go too far yeah. in any direction and and be so ideologically pure that you're not open to somebody sort of reining you in and finding that sort of middle ground. But then at, at the same time, I guess I could make the argument that if you're too much in the middle, maybe you don't believe in anything. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe I just destroyed my own argument there. Yeah. Well, no, I think, I think you're honest. I mean, you're, you're making Jordan Peterson's point basically. I mean, huh. you know, we're, we're in a, we're in a period where chaos reigns. And so we, what we need is order. Um, <clears throat> eventually uh, we will come back to a period where order reigns and, 
what will be needed is a little bit of chaos. I mean, you, you know, order. So chaos is where ideas come from. Um, and it's where, it's where like the, the, it's where the, the spark of creativity comes. Uh, and so right now, like all we've got is chaos. We've got all the ideas and all the, mm. all the, all the different ideologies and, and, and worldviews and everything that you could possibly want. Uh, but what we lack is somebody to put them all together. I think that's kind of where someone like Thad Russell, um, is helpful and, and, and not just Thad Russell, but like, you know, I mean, Hotep Jesus and Curtis Yarvin and like all of these people who are kind of coming up with original ways of interpreting old mm-hmm. or, or maybe not old, but like, you know, the last several decades worth of ideas that are just sort of like out there floating in the ether now. Um, and, and, and what they all have in common is they're not afraid to put themselves out there into the ether and, and speak these yeah. ideas. And they're, they're not, they're not afraid. They have a thick enough skin and a strong enough, a strong enough constitution that, yeah. They're willing to accept the slings and arrows that come their way and there's something to be said for that because, of course, yeah. you know, if you go out there and you just start flinging shit at people and you – and, of course, you really believe in what you're saying and you're just throwing ideas out, the, the mainstream is just going to obliterate you. They're going to call you a crazy person and start like trying to figure out how to get the ambulance to come to your door and commit you to the mental asylum and you're like, no, man. Like really, I'm just trying to figure out a better, a better way to do this. Like – I don't know. I, I feel like I'm contributing positively and you're so confused then when the ambulance shows up. So, no, I think uh, especially Hotep Jesus, who uh, like just got on my radar so recently and I just find him so fascinating. Like how quickly, how quickly he evolved from one state to another. It wasn't like 10 years. It was like 10 weeks. You know, like he just adapts so quickly to things that change in the world. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, he he definitely needs to be well I, I would say he definitely needs to be more on the like public radar but that'll just get him canceled so maybe we should just kind of keep him in our pocket until he's really 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 cooked and uh that's getting up into that like a you know, qu- quarter million twitter followers i mean that's a i mean it's not yeah. quite there but it, oh yeah yeah i mean it, it's a few more you, than if i have you were walking, <laughs> if you were walking down the street and you asked like just the next guy you come mm, across right. or really if you if you ask the next woman you come across have you heard of jordan peterson pretty good chance they'll say yes yeah. they might not know anything about what he's what he stands for might even think he's a white supremacist um but if you ask him if they if they'd heard of hotep jesus they probably wouldn't have yet mm. um well you, you know what, what's, so what's, I, what's good about yeah. him i mean i i i I've, I've changed my opinion on on jordan peterson a little bit over the years i i think i, I was kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt that he got thrown into something that he didn't quite have control over and mm-hmm. now I, i've yeah kind of come to the conclusion that maybe he sort of like sought all that attention and didn't really know what to do with it. Um, There is no question in my mind that Brian wants attention, right? And so for for me, there's a lot less, (laughs) there's a lot less there (laughs) to to worry about. Like there's no question. He's like, I'm fucking creating my own reality. And if you're on board, cool. If you're not, go fuck yourself. And that to me just is so much more transparent and honest. So we we kind of know what we're getting ourselves into. Was, was Hotep Jesus the one who, uh, was he the one who like went to Starbucks or somewhere and asked for a free coffee because he was black or is it somebody else? I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not, yeah, I don't know. If it is, I mean, I, I've tried that saw. too, and it didn't work. I don't know. You're not. You're. 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 You're a little too light skinned. I mean, I, I tried to say I identified as a black man just so I could get like a 
I don't know, what do you call it? A grande mocha, <laughs> grande mocha with a little whipped cream. And they were like, that's not what a black man would order. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just identifying. I don't know how this culture oh, works. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, it is him. So he walked into Starbucks. It was a, uh, it was, so you remember when I think it was in Pittsburgh or Philly or somewhere like that, they called the cops on, um, on a mm-hmm. black guy or yeah. maybe a couple of black guys that were in the, in the, in the shop. Yeah, I remember. right. Uh, and it started like Starbucks big, like, okay, we're, our, our bathrooms are for everybody. And then homeless people started jerking off in the bathrooms. Um, they didn't give that a lot of thought. And now you can't even walk into a Starbucks. They did, they're only doing curbside. It's insane. I like used to work from Starbucks because I, anyway, yeah. So Hotep, he walks into Starbucks. He says, I heard, I heard y'all are racist. Um, so I want a free coffee. And they gave him a free coffee. Uh, so that's the very first time I ever saw. Hotep oh, that's Jesus. great. Was, was yeah. it was it recorded or did you just like he, he oh, just yeah. told us to? Oh yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, it was April eighteenth, twenty eighteen. I've got it right in front of me. Uh, I'll send it to you. It's, it's hysterical. It is so funny. Um, <coughs> yeah. So please, anyway, please from there, from there, I became a fan of his uh, just because he was um, uh, just because he was so like man edgy and attention seeking and also you know obviously ideologically aligned with me because i'm not woke uh and well also very humble i mean he's he's definitely he's had forums on you know youtube where i mean you know this but for the listeners where he'll invite people on to talk about cryptocurrency or culture or something and he'll just be like you know i don't really know this like you guys just talk and i'll learn and that's an incredibly vulnerable place to put yourself in the public eye and that's something that Jordan Peterson, to just tie that back in, it, he was not good at that. And his inability right. to be kind of humble and accept uh, certain realities about the world like is literally killing him. And yeah. that dichotomy between the two of them is, is, is fascinating. It, it again shows you the pattern and the cycle to get you on the way versus what is not the way. Where Jordan Peterson understands academically what the way is. But he doesn't follow yeah. it. Otherwise, he wouldn't be dying slowly. Yet Brian seems to be very much um, sort of, I don't want to say ignorance of the way, but probably unconcerned with the way. He just follows it instinctively. And the yeah. dude is flourishing. Yep. Well, and if Jordan Peterson were – if he had like an internalized uh, – what? An internalized sense of his calling mm. um, and not just – and not just like a, a PhD and a professorship. Um, we probably, he'd probably be, first of all, like interviewing way more interesting people than Matthew McConaughey. Uh, but also, I mean, he would be, I mean, holy shit. He's in Alberta, Canada. Like Ontario's right. I mean, it's not next door to Alberta, but it's, it's, you know, they're, they're in Canada. And Ontario has this incredibly tyrannical COVID regime. And he doesn't seem to have said anything. And in fact, like even while he was incommunicado for the the entire year of COVID, which was, you know, if ever there was a year that some that the world needed a Jordan Peterson, it was then. Um, his daughter, Michaela, even said, Yeah, look, he's totally he's totally anti-lockdown. He would be he would if he could, he would be out there fighting the good fight. And he's been, I mean, as far as I can tell, silent. Yeah, I mean it it, it goes yeah. to show again. 
again, back to balance when you're, you know, there's something uh, important about being introspective and considering your past actions and feelings and emotions and and interactions and relationships and contemplating them and coming to some sort of a, a growth experience. But if you battle yourself too much, it becomes this psychosis that just destroys you. So again, the balance between being introspective, but also moving on with your life and not letting your either your past faults or your inadequacies destroy you seems to be, again, this survival instinct just ingrained and inherent in the, the human genome and the cycle and pattern, right? It just it keeps playing itself out again and again and again. And no matter how hard we try to fight it, we just keep seeing it. It, it makes it makes all of this so predictable, at least from my point of view. And I, I think you'd probably agree. Yeah, I do. Um. Real quick, just one quick point. Yeah. Uh, I've seen I've seen Jordan Peterson and Hotep Jesus cry. Both of them publicly have been moved to tears. Jordan Peterson by the impact he's had on his fans, which you know, I mean, cool. I mean, it's great. You've had a you've had a great impact on a lot of people, um, but you were moved to tears by your impact. Hotep Jesus, I've seen cry because Thad Russell touched him mm. deeply, and he called him his best friend, and he broke into tears. That's a that's a big difference to me. Um, you, and it gets into, it, I mean, it's exactly what we were just talking about, I guess, but it's a, it's a concrete example. Um, right. It, it speaks to, it speaks to an internal empathy for others yeah. versus an eternal <laughs> struggle against yourself. Right. Like, like I, I might cry yeah. when I, uh, you know, when I see my grandmother after a year or I might cry when yeah. somebody just berates the shit out of me and tells me what a horrible person I am. And those two things are yeah. not equated. They're not the same thing, right? And so, yes, you're looking at you're looking at character when you're making that differentiation. I totally agree with you. Cool. All right, should we? Uh, yeah, should we let, call let's it a day? let's wrap up, dude. Uh, let people know where they can check out your shit. We we didn't talk about your show, but by the way, James's show. Uh, <laughs> what I like so much about what you're doing is you're mixing in the libertarian anarchist with philosophy and and other other topics that I think are, are very important to keep yeah. splicing in. You're also um, like a very kind and genuine interviewer. And that, that comes across to me when I listen to your show, I, I like it. It's, it's a very, you know, some shows I listen to, I have to listen to them in like a high stress environment. Yours, I can, <laughs> I can throw on like after a long day at work and it kind of, I can ease into my night. So there's, there's something really cool about that in my opinion. So let people know where they can check your shit out. Cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I host the Blackbird podcast um, and it's it started out as the Urban Agorist podcast. And I uh, like I, I think I said earlier, like, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't know how good an agorist I am or can be. And so I wanted to get rid of that label. But then also urban. I mean, I, I don't know how long I'm going to want to live in the city either. I, hell, I'm already driving out to the suburbs to go to the gym and to eat dinner. So um, so there's that. Uh, so I changed the name to Blackbird and the reason I changed the name to Blackbird was because I heard the song Blackbird by the Beatles. Um, and the, the, the lines in that song, take these broken wings and learn to fly and then take these sunken eyes and learn to see really spoke to me. Um, I am really interested in learning how people see the world and then also how people thrive in the world. Um, so flying and seeing are kind of the, kind of the, the two wings, so to speak, of my show. Um, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. I talk to a lot of philosophers um, or, you know, philosophy adjacent podcasters at this point. Um, and I'm just, I'm just interested in, in learning what makes people tick, I guess. And like, you know, 
how I can be as successful as possible. Uh, and hopefully the audience as well. So you can find it at um, blackbird.substack.com is the best way to go, but it's also at blackbirdpodcast.com. Um, and then I'm on Twitter too, James LJ. Good stuff, man. I very much appreciate this. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate the time. All right, everybody. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to James Jenneman from the Blackbird Podcast for coming on and having this conversation with me. That's it. For now, everyone, stay safe, be well. I'll talk to you soon. Sweet.